Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 38. As I've mentioned before, chapters 35 to 39 in the book of Exodus generally receive very brief treatment in most commentaries. And the reason for that is that these chapters, by and large, repeat material that has already been covered in chapters 25 through 31. In chapters 25 to 31, you get the instructions about how to build and manufacture all these items. And then in chapters 35 to 39, you get the record of their actual construction. The reason that these chapters are covered at all is to show that the incident of the golden calf and the gross apostasy and idolatry associated with that event did not, in fact, forestall God's stated intentions to dwell in the midst of his people. These chapters are in the Bible because mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, of course, that's a phrase from the book of James in the New Testament, but it serves as a decent summary of these events as well. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on that verse in James 2.13, says helpfully here, While setting forth a strict standard, conformity to his holy law, as the basis of judgment, God is ultimately a God of mercy who also provides in his grace a means of of escaping that judgment, closed quote. That is as true in the Old Testament as it is in the New. Thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, and five cubits its breadth. It was square, and three cubits was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the firepans. He made all its utensils of bronze. And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze, under its ledge, extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards. These verses correspond with the instructions given in chapter 27, verses 1 to 8. You will recall that items that were for use inside the holy place and the most holy place were overlaid with gold, whereas items that were intended for use within the outer court were overlaid in bronze, as here. The altar of burnt offering, or as it is sometimes called, the bronze altar, was in the very center of the outer court. It was where the ritual sacrifices were grilled. The altar was hollow, meaning that below the bronze grating, There was an empty space that was likely filled with earth and rocks, as per the instructions in Exodus 20, verse 24. We pick up the story in verse 8. 
He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. This, of course, corresponds precisely to the instructions given in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 to 21. Here, though, we have this interesting additional detail. Moses tells us that the bronze for the basin came from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. In the ancient world, mirrors were generally made of the highest quality of polished bronze. And in fact, it is not surprising that there would be an abundance of these items in the camp of the Hebrews, given that it was in Egypt, actually, that these items were generally produced. If you owned a mirror in the ancient world, it was almost certainly made in Egypt. And we recall that God told the Hebrews to go to their Egyptian neighbors and their masters and their mistresses and to ask for parting gifts, reparations, as it were, that the Egyptians were only too happy to give if it would speed the departure of these people who so enjoyed the favor of Almighty God. So we have a bunch of highly polished, hand-held bronze mirrors that were donated for the manufacture of the bronze altar. And the result then was that the bronze altar would have been constructed out of the very highest quality of bronze available at that time. And of course, that's appropriate. The bronze altar was the most important item in the outer court. So Moses is telling us that it was made with the highest quality of available materials. Now, of course, we're also very curious about the identity of these women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Who are they and what did they do? We assume that they are the women who became the women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting itself not yet having been constructed. That's what's going on here. We remember that the tent of meeting was a sort of proto-tabernacle, but we understand here that these were the women who ministered in the tabernacle, likely as a result of this expression of piety in making these precious items available. So who were they? Hebrew scholar Nahum Sarnas is helpfully here. Nothing is known about this class, which is otherwise mentioned only in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. The Hebrew idiom tzavo tzava is also used of the Levites and means qualified to serve in the workforce. So that it is likely that these women performed menial work. None of the evidence supports the notion that they exercised any ritual or cultic function. The idea here is that even these women at the bottom of the occupational and social scale displayed unselfish generosity and sacrificial devotion in donating their valuable bronze mirrors, closed quote. Scholars generally understand these women as being essentially the maids of the tabernacle complex. That's what they became. They would have done the cleanup work and also the laundry of those who were serving as priests within the complex. The point of mentioning them is to highlight their piety, not their ritual function. The point is that even the tabernacle maids donated their most precious items, the bronze mirrors they were given by their former Egyptian mistresses. This is the Old Testament version of the widow's mite story, and it should be appreciated on that basis.
The story continues in verse 9. And he made the court. For the south side, the hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the north side, there were hangings of a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the west side were hangings of fifty cubits, their ten pillars and their ten bases. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the front to the east, fifty cubits. The hangings for one side of the gate were fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and three bases. And so for the other side, on both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and their three bases. All the hangings around the court were of fine twined linen, and the bases for the pillars were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. The overlaying of their capitals were also of silver, and all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver, and the screen for the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was twenty cubits long and five cubits high in its breadth, corresponding to the hangings of the court, and their pillars were four in number. Their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals and their fillets of silver, and all the pegs for the tabernacle and for the court all around were of bronze. This section corresponds to the instructions given in chapter 27, verses 9 to 19. The enclosure of the compound was made precisely in accordance with the instructions that God had given to Moses. That is the main emphasis here. In verses 21 to 31, we have a precise record of the metals that were actually donated. This record was taken by the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses. The responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering, was twenty-nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was a hundred talents and one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A bika ahead, that is half a shekel, by the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone who was listed in the records from twenty years old and upward, for 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver 
were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, a hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent a base. And of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils of the altar. The bases around the court and the bases of the gate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs around the court. Modern-day readers are understandably confused by all these ancient weights and measurements. The commentaries are helpful here if you want to get a sense of precisely how much metal we're talking about. Scholars generally agree that a talent was about 34 kilograms or 75 pounds in weight. Thus, when you run the math, it appears as though a grand total of about 2,193 pounds of gold was assembled for the project. We're not entirely sure what the precise weight of a sanctuary shekel was. The term sanctuary shekel obviously refers to the measurement standard of the sanctuary, but as to what it precisely equated to, no one is willing to say for sure. We can guess because we have recovered some bika coins, and they weigh about six grams, and the text says that a bika was half a shekel, so it would seem that a sanctuary shekel was about 12 grams but it is always hard to know how much degradation there has been and how much filing any coin that we recover has endured. So, with the lesser measurements, there is a bit of guesswork. Regardless of the precise weight of some of these smaller measurements, the overall impression here is of immense sacrifice and commendable generosity. There is no avoiding the fact that sacrificial giving is treated as an indicator of spiritual vitality and authentic faith in the Bible. That is why this story is being recorded. These people gave much because they had been forgiven much. And whether you are reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, that's what forgiven people do. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab, and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. 
Just identify where you're listening from and click on the fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 